0: you Smith, and this is more than one lesson, episode 86. Wanted to say special thanks to Robert Hornack for being on uh, episode 85. But as uh, evidenced from last week's mini-sode, our co-host Josh Long is back. Josh, hello, how you doing? I'm doing all right, I'm back. Indeed. So,
1: for those of you who just skip over the mini-sodes, and this is the first time you've heard me, hey guys, how's it going? Hope you've been well. I've been okay, went to the beach.
0: Yeah, he's, he's going to be all right. Yeah. He's going to make it. Uh, let's see. No real announcements this time around, except I will say, for those of you who are going to be uh, in uh, the San Diego area for Comic-Con, or perhaps you just live there, um, on July 18th at 8 p.m. at a bar called Dublin Square, which is at 554 4th Avenue in the uh, Gaslamp District. Wow, that's... That seems like that's hard to remember. I designed the poster and had to retype that many times. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I will be there. It's on 5,444th Avenue? Oh, jeez. San Diego has grown. Ever since Comic Con started, <laughs> San Diego has really grown. It's very uncreated. It was founded by mathematicians. All of the streets <laughs> are numbers. And so, uh, yeah, the, um,. Uh, battleship pretension and warner archive and criterion cast they're all uh, we're all hosting a a meetup uh, during which time we get to uh, meet fans and such there will be free drinks for as long as the drinks last i think they they last uh, up to a certain amount Hmm. so yeah get there early I might not, but get there early. It's like
1: a barrel and it's just full of drinks, but they're all mixed together. Right. There's only as much as fills the barrel.
0: Yeah. I mean, we poured all the drinks out into one barrel and you just get a cup and just right. scoop it out of there. And So
1: you kind of hope that your cup tastes more like whatever it is that you were hoping you would get. Right. Like, I was hoping this was beer, but it tastes like tequila and vodka mixed together. It
0: tastes like what happens when you mix Battleship, Pretension, Warner Archive, and Criterion Cat. Hey, there you go. Um but yeah, so I'll be there. Uh, Josh might be there. We're not 100% sure. I think it's looking like I probably will be there. So this is... Look, this is turning into a more than one lesson meetup as well. Sure is. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll design something for that. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, and I want to say special thanks to uh, Warner Archive for uh, putting forth the uh, the funds to, to host this uh, for a second year. Um, all right. Moving on. This week's episode... We are going to be talking about the recent comedy. I think it only came out a month ago, uh, so hopefully you guys have seen it. Um, this is The End, written and directed by Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. Uh, those of you uh, familiar with comedy over the, over the last few years, you're probably aware of Seth Rogen uh, as an actor, but Evan Goldberg is, is his writing partner. They wrote uh, Super Bad together, mm-hmm. and uh, with this one, they both wrote and directed it. And so I will give the summary uh, really quick. The biblical apocalypse has occurred. The good people of Earth have been taken to heaven, leaving behind only the most selfish among us. This includes a number of Hollywood actors who hole up in the home of James Franco. As they come to grips with what is happening around them, tensions and egos start to flare. So that was a summary written by me. So it doesn't give too much away. But yeah. We're going to be operating this episode on the assumption that you have seen the film already. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're going to be speaking in spoilers. Um, it's, it always seems weird to talk about spoilers for like a comedy, but I guess, you know, punchlines are based on the idea of you don't see them coming. And some of them are like
1: surprise jokes. Like if you didn't expect to see a certain character doing something or a certain actor maybe showing up.
0: Yeah. Although, like, any kind of neat twist was kind of given away in the trailer. Certainly in the Red Band trailer. Um, I'm trying to remember if I even saw the trailer. I may have not even seen it.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know, I did. Because I remember uh, somebody kicking Aziz Ansari's face into a big pit. Yeah. Big hell pit.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, uh a little bit of background. I was not really familiar with the film. I knew that it was there was an end of the world movie happening with uh, a number of uh noted comedic actors of a certain generation. Mm-hmm. And uh then I saw uh, then I went to WonderCon this last year and went to a panel that Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Craig Robinson and Dana McBride were were speaking at and um and that's when I realized the central conceit, the kind of the gimmick of the film, is that these actors are playing themselves. They're playing a version of themselves. Yeah. And that's when immediately I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. But I also immediately became uh, cautious. Mm-hmm. Because there's something... My first thought, and anybody who listens to Battleship Pretension knows that uh, my first thought was like, okay, it seems... That is not something lightly done as an actor playing himself uh, in a film, and so, uh, so the obvious thing is like, oh, maybe they'll be poking fun at themselves. But my my other worry was that it was a it was a vain it was a, a vanity project. Yeah, because I like I like not really, but the idea of. Of Oh, it's the end of the world. Yes. And everyone's dying. But what about the celebrities? What's <laughs> happening with them? And so I thought it was them saying, you know, what about us? Um, it sort of reminds me. Uh, so there's a I mentioned it in the last episode, actually, um, there's a web series called uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And uh, it's a web series that I really like. But there's a moment in which uh, Jerry Seinfeld is talking to Seth Myers, It's the most recent episode. Uh, And they were talking about charity events and, and doing charity. And Jerry Seinfeld commented that he felt sort of like being a comedian of some sort is sort of like doing charity work because you're doing, especially early on when you're being booed at clubs around the country, that you're working this very hard and unpleasant job in an attempt to sort of make the world a better place. And I remember I first thought that and I thought, you know, I understand what he's saying. But at the same time, uh, I recently heard on uh, Never Not Funny that Jerry Seinf- Seinfeld is worth eight hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. and so my first thought—and I don't begrudge anybody making money—but it's one of those things where it's that idea of, well, I'm I'm kind of doing something important. I'm and, and I love stand-up comedy, and I love movies, and I love actors. I think art is important, but to act as though the, that is as important as say a legitimate charity that saves people's lives
1: or as if that's enough, because if you think about that, that's a very myopic view with which to examine your own, uh, (laughs) your own career, I guess, because couldn't anyone say that? Like, why couldn't a doctor say like, right, I'm working a hard job every day to make the world a better place. Like there's not a lot of people who could say that they're working, to make the world a worse place, <laughs>
0: right? Like the only people who probably I might be actually with <laughs> my job, it's a. Uh, but uh, I won't go into that. But go on.
1: But uh, so yeah, like I'm doctors could easily say that politicians, um, lawyers, whether that's true or not, certainly think that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like almost everyone could think that in a way. So it's like there's there's a difference between. What, what I guess if your job is important that doesn't mean that it's so important that it eclipses your other responsibilities as a human being
0: right and and I'm the first one to say that uh, you know i as christians i we feel possibly called to a certain career or a certain line of work and that might be what the world considers to be great or glamorous or life-saving but What if you're doing what God is calling you to do? Then you're doing your job. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, But I'm the first person to say. I mean, I feel like God has called me to film criticism. I don't think I'm saving anybody. Um, You know, I don't think I'm doing charity work. Uh, Well, I am to a certain extent in that I uh, don't get paid for this. (laughs) Um, But uh, but yeah, and so and it's odd because um, the scene in which uh, characters who in which uh, these actors, who are you know well paid for what they do, there's a scene in which they sort of try to justify their their own lives. It's one of yeah. the better scenes in the film. Yeah, it's one of my um, favorites. Precisely because uh, they sort of lampoon this idea of saying what what I'm doing is it's it's pretty hard, guys. <laughs> and you know, and while I would you know I know a number of stand up comedians and their stories from the road are indeed pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time it's if 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 a comedian succeeds to the extent that a comedian, comedian can succeed they can be worth tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars whereas there are certain lines of work that if you succeed to the extent that anybody in that uh industry can succeed you might wind up making 50 grand a year or something yeah. like that and and it's not just about money but no. you know it can also But in this case, it's like, oh, it's money and fame and love and people telling you you're right all the time. So, (laughs) yeah. And,
1: and it's interesting because I don't, I don't think the makers of this film of of this is the end come to it in that same attitude that you're talking about Jerry Seinfeld has with it. I I do think they are poking fun at themselves and they're recognized. I think one of the reasons that scene is funny is because they're saying like, it's not, You know, regardless of what they may have gone through in the past, where they are now is not that difficult. Like, the woes of having to be an actor are not that difficult. And I think... I do think sometimes actors recognize that more than other people mm-hmm. sometimes especially especially celebrities maybe because after a point their jobs are so easy you yeah. know like everybody's kind of does things on your terms and maybe that's why so many celebrities are involved with charities because yeah. I hear a lot of them joking about like you know oh I've got the really hard job or you know like uh, you know joking self-deprecatingly saying like what I do is easy like I show up I hit a mark and
0: I say a line yeah. and then I go sit in my you know and then I do what I want for two hours yeah and no um, one is, and so I, I brought that up to say that uh, that was my concern, mm-hmm. was in the midst of the end of the world, it was a film that says, that that acts as though we are all wondering what's happened, what, right. what are the celebrities doing right yeah. now? It was a whole movie based on the very funny Bill Murray cameo in Zombieland. <laughs> um, and it's like, that works for, first off, it works for Bill Murray, but also <laughs> it works for a a 10 minute sequence as opposed to an entire film. So that was my concern. And I think by and large, that concern went away. This does not strike me as a vanity project. No. Um, they seem to want to satirize themselves and satirize Hollywood and the way, uh, actors are the way artists are just really buying into themselves at all times and mm-hmm. being really petty and that sort of yeah. thing. So they seem to want to do that. But I would say, by and large, they didn't, with the exception of the scene you and I are talking about, in which these guys are really going out of their way to say, well, no, what we're doing is what we're doing is hard. And, you know, we and just and then one of them, Jay Barshall, the least famous of the of the bunch is like, yes, but we get paid handsomely to do that, <laughs> you know. And so um, it's one of the only scenes I think of, like, actual effective satire. The rest of it strikes mm-hmm. me as actually pretty toothless.
1: There are, there are other moments. I think... I th- there are some overarching things. I guess we're going to... How much do we want to get into like the details of what happens in the movie now? Do we want yeah, to... Do sure. Hold off at all? Okay. So, um, I feel like there are some overarching satire things that while they don't hit specifically, I think are kind of through lines. For instance, a lot of the... Content of what they do argue about, I think is is primarily put in there to be funny. Mm-hmm. But I think is informed by the fact that it's dumb to argue about these things when the world is coming to an end.
0: Yes, there is that.
1: So there's like things like, uh, for instance, there's a, a long, a long argument scene, which th- this this has been a point of contention between you and I because I don't think it's as funny as you do. But uh, about. Uh, I'll just say pornography. Okay, that, it, it it goes into very some very uh, uh, s- gross detail, I guess. So, I, I and we'll
0: know. go into detail about that in a moment. Not into uh, a lot of detail. Yeah. But we'll talk more. about it. We don't need to moment.
1: talk too much about that. But, yeah. um, but the idea is to to be arguing over this thing is a is a very petty argument to be having in the right. face of the world ending. And I think you would only find that in a movie where the overarching one of the overarching themes is that these people are so self-obsessed and they're so
0: removed from what everyone else is going right. through and,
1: f- and from reality in general. Yeah. So I think there's moments like that, that while on the surface, the main thing is just cause they think it's silly. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that as an underlying thing. And I think there are other moments there's the thing with the Milky Way like that. Yeah. is yeah. another thing that's similar to that. Um, then I was going to say the other thing that does kind of ring, I think a satire is, um some of the stuff that happens in the scenes before like at the party. There's a party before yeah. the world actually starts to end. And so you get to see a lot of these celebrities kind of talking about themselves or being themselves and it and it makes them out sometimes to be very self centered or petty or or shallow. Um I, I do think the stuff with Michael Sarah was
0: it was very funny it was yes. very
1: funny because he would they just kind of played him against type as hard as they possibly could yeah um and I think it's funny that one one of the jokes um is that uh Seth Rogen and Jay Baruchel left leave the uh, the party for a little bit to go get some food or something like that mm-hmm. they and while they're out the rapture happens people get sucked up into the sky yeah and get and, sucked like, up into heaven as into it heaven although
0: yeah. that's not immediately clear
1: right um and like there's earthquakes, things like, like chaos is starting to erupt, right? And so they go back into the party and nothing's changed because no one there yeah. was raptured. Everybody, they're, they have no idea what's going on around them.
0: Yeah, they are. And that to me, and the fact that they don't come out and say it clearly. Yeah. They let the audience figure out, oh, nobody here. This, everyone here is so... Selfish that that no one here is in any danger of being taken into heaven at any point <laughs> right um, yeah that that to me was you know so, which was something that went unspoken but still very obvious um, I, yeah, I liked that um, but uh but that's the thing is from a from a satire standpoint and from the idea of really because when it comes right down to it this is a i won 't say it's a risky comedy but it 's a comedy that. Is different than a lot of other comedies, having the actors play themselves in the midst of this situation, assuming that there is, you know, based on the assumption that the Bible is true, and that they're just gonna go for gonna go forward with that parts of the Bible. Parts of we'll the Bible. get into. We'll that. get to that later. <laughs> but um, you know, there's a lot of elements that kind of set this apart from other comedies. Definitely. Um, but part of me thought, yeah, but you can actually go further. With this um, There's a uh, I was looking up trivia I think I had I had heard this before But I, I was looking up trivia About the film In which Because for example uh, James Franco is in it Playing himself And James Franco Has a brother Who is in Hollywood And is an actor Named Dave Franco He's in 21 Jump Street. He's been in a, in a number of things He's actually very funny um, And so they toyed with the idea Of having Dave Franco At the party And have him die And uh, D- uh, Danny McBride, at the time of the f- of shooting, was a newlywed with I think a newborn, and so by having him at the party, it's assumed that maybe his family is elsewhere, maybe they got sucked up and he didn't, or something like that. Uh, but instead, they just decide to divorce these characters completely from their actual home lives, mm-hmm. and. Because they said that all of that would be too dark; it would be be too dark to imagine Danny McBride's family being gone in one way or another, or Dave Franco being killed, and now James Franco lost somebody that genuinely is is close to him. Hmm. And they said that'd be too dark. And part of me's like, yes, but this is what you're making a comedy about—the end of the world. These are the these are the realities you'd have to face. But there's in, there's inherent uh, satiric potential in that the idea that maybe James Franco, maybe come up with some petty jealousies that James Franco has towards Dave Franco, and then when Dave Franco dies, uh, James Franco actually is a little, uh, there's some, what is it, uh, schadenfreude going on, and, and just like, oh, he's just kind of happy about that. All right. You know, and uh, and maybe Dan McBride, maybe his he finds out that his family got sucked up, and he didn't, and that leads to his leads to bitterness and he he is if there is aside from the devil himself if there is a villain in the movie it's danny mcbride <laughs> yeah and you know and what i like is that he's the villain simply because he's the worst one um and he's willing to do the most things but i like the idea of maybe it gives his character something to play off of this this feeling like well wait a minute my wife and not me you know what screw all of you mm-hmm. and just kind of and then they could really show uh, a selfish element, even more so, to these characters. And that's something that... And that, that when I say the movie is mostly toothless, that's what I mean, is when it came to stuff that could really, really sting, either the audience or the actors themselves, they shied away from it.
1: I do agree that there's they could have gone further with the satire, and I... Th- I think one of the things that I dislike about the movie is that I think while it has those, like I said, overarching things or some undertones or some specific jokes refers to that. I think at the end of at the end of all things, it becomes a a series of crass jokes.
0: Yeah. And the the central if there is a central dramatic push, it's the relationship between Seth Rogen and Jay Baruchel. Yeah, because uh, they both started in Canada as comedic actors, they both made it in Hollywood, Seth Rogen, more than Jay Baruchel. Um, although Jay Baruchel is somebody that if you saw him, you'd know him, yeah. you'd know exactly who he is. And so, um, but the fact that Seth Rogen became more Hollywood than Jay and that, uh, Jay tries to stay in Canada when he can to kind of stay close to his roots and all that. And just the resentments that come about as a result of that, that they're holding in, but now that everything is coming to an end, little facts come out, you know, over the course of the film, and you realize these guys who are close friends maybe aren't as close as they used to be. And that relationship rang true to me. It yeah. might not be the most biting thing, but it gave me something to latch on to yeah. uh, from a human perspective. Yeah, um, And that, that, I think, is a function of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, because they wrote Super Bad which is about these two close friends who are starting to grow apart maybe. Yeah. And I feel like that uh, they're, they're predisposed to writing about male friendship and that sort of thing. So that felt real to me. Yeah. And, uh, and so there are a number of things that I wound up not liking about the film, and we'll get to some of that later. But I do want to first talk about the things that I – and we've already talked about some of it. But here's the thing. So I talk about how it's kind of toothless in some ways – and that uh that by and large, it just kind of lost its narrative thread or whatever um but what I will say is it it is often very funny uh, yeah. I found myself laughing out loud quite a bit, and at, at you know at the end of the day it is a comedy, and so and it wants to be a- first and foremost a comedy, and so um so when it comes right down to it, the question is how often did you laugh? Mm-hmm. And in my case, I laughed at, I would say 75 to 80% of the jokes, which for a joke heavy movie, that's pretty good. That's yeah. a pretty good ratio. Um, so I would say as a comedy, it's mostly successful. And as a comedy, I, I would say if you don't mind very crass humor, um, I'd say, yeah, sure. Go ahead and see it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not totally against crass humor i will sometimes make certain types of jokes with my friends and that kind of thing um but i think maybe they go a little too far in that direction which i think is a function of uh i believe they said about 50 percent of the film was improvised and i'll get to that in a second but you know we are dealing with experienced comedic actors who not only can they improvise fairly well most of the time, but they also know how best to make a line funny. And and there's a nice mix, there's a nice blend of comedy stylings. You know, Danny McBride is, you know, miles away from Craig Robinson in how they deliver jokes. Mm-hmm. But both of them are hilarious, I thought. And so... You know And James Franco seems to be existing on a whole other plane, and uh, I was talking with a friend of the show Jason Eakin, about this, and he said, "Well, he is the best actor of the group." <laughs> and so he seems to really he seems to have invented this char- this whole character that's completely three-dimensional named James Franco, <laughs> who is so self-obsessed in a way that like and and so generally non-self-aware. That he really seems to be like if this were a legit uh, dramatic uh, end of the world film, I feel like his character wouldn't be that different.
1: Mm.
0: So, um, <laughs> so I, I really respect a lot of the performances and a lot of the uh, a lot of the the jokes. And so, though I'm going to be critical of the film in other ways, as a comedy, by and large, I, I think I probably recommend it so uh what do you think just in in general
1: I think I enjoyed it for the most part um yeah i, I, th- I think the things I liked about it were the same things that you liked about it i j- i think some of those things I didn't like as much but uh I think there's a lot of funny jokes I think there's some good performances um I think the willingness of a lot of these actors to make fun of themselves mm-hmm. is is uh is one of the things that makes it funny um and yeah I don't know okay. I think those are the main things
0: alright so I will we'll get into uh, you know in talking about comedy and here, so this is a Christian show and so uh, we'll talk about some of the different uh, comedy stylings because I know that a number of Christians including uh, some people that I believe commented on uh, uh, when I said that we'd be talking about this movie um, on the in the Facebook group uh, I think people commented and said that it seemed it either seemed too filthy for them to see or they did see it and thought it was too filthy. I don't remember. Mm. But um, and and sure enough, that is part of it. You know, I'm, I'm a stand up comedy fan and have been for a long time. So I've grown accustomed to certain types of jokes. That doesn't mean I always find them funny. In fact, I very rarely do. Um, although I will say that a, a, a well-crafted joke is a well-crafted joke, regardless of what the subject is. Mm. But when you're dealing with crass stuff, usually that is enough for some people, and they feel that they don't feel the need to craft a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, and and I think this ties in with the fact that so much of the film was improvised. Because uh, I know you and I know a number of people that uh, have done improvisation, and one of their big complaints was is for amateur um maybe maybe amateur is the wrong word for non-professional improvisers who maybe have not developed uh, a wide range of go-tos uh in you know on the improv stage um sex and rape and just shock stuff is the first place they'll go because it it might shock the audience into laughing yeah and so uh people have expressed frust- frustration with that and with this, I do think that while these guys are certainly professional, uh, I think that they are still young and I think have made, in some cases, made careers on doing rather juvenile things. And so in the midst of this, I think the the improvisation, like the scene you're talking about where the character's talking about porn, among other things, um, I think that scene it goes on really long as uh, imp- improvised comedy often does. Mm-hmm. And it goes more and more extreme, which I think was made funny by the actors. But at the same time, part of me's like, and I like, I do tend to like when jokes are just drawn out. I, I enjoy that. But after a certain point, it's like, unless you have something kind of new to bring to it with the extra 30 seconds uh, of the joke, it does get, Tiresome, and it feels like you're just After a certain point it sounds like you're repeating Something with the hope of it becoming Funny as opposed to repeating it Knowing that it will become funny If repeated mm-hmm. and so So that is I think Some of the some of the problem and Also there's no real reason for The film to be as crass as it Is and yeah one can make the argument that there's Never really a reason for uh, You know crass and adult joking Um but oddly enough, that has bothered me. That bothers me less in some movies, and bothers me a little bit more in this one. Why do you think mm. that is, Josh? Why it bothers you more, or or anybody? Um, I I, I don't know if there is anything more in
1: this movie because uh, I don't really feel that way. I, I just I think, I think that kind of joke. Well, you know, then again, I, I can't say I think there is something. Um, I think part of the reason that some of the jokes just they go to the crass stuff very quickly and they stay there for too long is because what you have is a, a group of people who are comedians to together who all think each other are funny. Mm. Um, it's basically you've got like this kind of boys club group of friends. Yeah that are, I'm sure just encouraging each other in this sort of thing. Like I'll bet you anything. There's a lot more of that. And some editor had to be like, it's too much of this and cut tons of it out. Yeah. Because when you've got like, I mean, imagine like when you're sitting around with a bunch of, bunch of your dumb friends joking around, like, you know, we go to the Coral cafe sometimes with a group of us and we'll go on a riff that goes for 30 minutes about something very stupid. And yes. Uh, yeah. And it'll make us laugh the entire time. So that sort of thing can just... And it's as worth
0: noting, I never remember the riffs the next day. <laughs> That's how surfacey and useless they
1: are. <laughs> I've thought sometimes, like, I kind of feel sorry for the people that are sitting near us. Because we think we're hilarious, but other people might not so much. Yeah. And and not to say that we shouldn't do that. Because, hey, we have a good time. But, exactly. like it, that can just as easily happen when you're on a set with all your friends and you're yeah. making those jokes. They, they seem totally funny. It might seem like the funniest thing you've ever seen or ever heard or said mm-hmm. but it might not act it might not actually be because you're in you're in this echo chamber where everybody yeah. thinks that the other person is funny and everybody agrees on the same type of humor yeah um so i think that could be why some of this happens in this film that it uh, you know they jump to the crass stuff quickly and that it takes it takes a long time so some not always but i think there are several scenes where it goes on too long like there were times when uh, it would get to something and I'd be like, all right, you're done now. The joke is over. Like I got it. I, I, you know, thought it was funny or kind of funny, but now you need to move on to something else. You're done. Yeah. And then it would keep going. And then that actually, that's weird. Cause that works the other way. Uh, it's like, it's like opposite comedy. Like I was having a good time. Now I'm not interested anymore. Now I'm getting bored. Right. Um, not that a movie always has to keep me from being bored, but comedy shouldn't make you bored. <laughs>
0: Yeah, comedy does need to, again, there are jokes that can be nice and drawn out, and I'll still laugh, um, but at the same time, uh, comedy is usually pretty quick, Mm -hmm. um, and drawn out jokes need to be done just right, otherwise they feel like drawn out, and that's it. Just um, as
1: a, just as a sentence that's timed poorly can ruin the pacing of a bit, mm-hmm. uh, a sequence that's run, that's, uh, that goes poorly, uh, can ruin the pacing of
0: the the film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I will say if you are a fan of comedy and you, and you thought <laughs> we already kind of ruined it a little bit, uh, <laughs> so far, but, uh, and we'll, t- we'll ruin it more in a moment, but, um. But yeah, if you um enjoy comedy and and you think uh this movie looks good, but you tend not to like extremely we keep going to crass or, you know, crude uh language or whatever, uh and you're if you're bothered by that, then this is definitely not the movie for you. If you are not yeah. bothered by it, which for the most part I am not, mm-hmm. um then yeah, you'll you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah, I think you'll have a,
1: I think yeah, I think anybody who doesn't have a like strong problem with that sort of thing. We'll at least have a good time at the movie. No.
0: And I guess maybe one of the, one of the reasons to go, to go back into the, uh, the idea of missed opportunities, especially with the Hollywood satire is these types of arguments are something that anybody could have. Now, as you said, the idea that these guys are having these arguments in the midst of this situation, it speaks to their being out of touch, which be because they're celebrities. it, it, it Rings maybe not true, but it stands to reason. Um, these types of arguments are pretty general, but anytime somebody, anytime the characters, they make it clear that oh, this is who they are. Like the thing that got me is these characters regularly argue with one another, and they and they are looking for the opportunity to put one another down. And you know, if you and I were arguing, and like really like really tearing into each other. There are things that you know, if I say this, Tyler will really be hurt. And I know things like, if I say this, Josh will really be hurt. And in in the case of these uh, actors, all of them have done movies that have not done well. Uh, all of them have made choices that, are not good. And in Hollywood, where it's all about your career and all about how you are viewed, it seems like those are the first things that these guys would go to. And so, for example, it is astounding to me that nobody brought up the Oscars that James Franco (laughs) co-hosted with Anne Hathaway, by and large, considered the worst hosting the Oscars have ever had. (laughs) No one brought that up in the movie. And that is... Astonishing, and mm-hmm. my thought is, well, maybe they're so busy with the crass humor, the really general, broad humor, that the opportunity to get specific to these characters who have gone out of the way to play themselves, mm-hmm. like maybe that's why some of the satire gets lost because they're too committed to doing this kind of these kind of jokes over here. Yeah, it could be. But uh, meanwhile, there other times they're spot on. Like there's a scene where Jonah Hill is praying. And he's and he and he starts the prayer with, God, it's me, Jonah Hill, from Moneyball, and <laughs> stuff like that is is good. Um, you know, Danny McBride. There's a moment when he's being confronted by all these guys, and they're trying to. He does not know that the end of the world is is happening, and uh, and immediately he's kind of angry that they're all confronting him. And uh, Jonah Hill says something and goes, Jonah, come on you're an Oscar nominated actor. Now you can do better than that <laughs> as far as like conveying the weight of a situation. <laughs> and then Jonah immediately tries to say it again. And Danny pride's like, all right, that's better. <laughs> and so stuff like that where, yes. Okay. It is in the midst of the world going to hell quite literally uh, little moments like that don't seem mm-hmm. plausible. But if this is what you're doing If you are going with this gimmick of these guys playing themselves and you're committed to them being as petty as possible in the midst of catastrophe, then like do it in every other possible way. I mean, they make reference to the terrible film, Your Highness, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of it. Like there should be stuff that stings, you know, when you when you get actors playing themselves, the 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 advantage to that is we all know their lives. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We know, you know, we know about the Oscars. Yeah. And so they can borrow. So the characters immediately have history with the audience because we know them. And so Mm -hmm. to not capitalize on that is, I think uh, a shame. I felt the same way with, with uh, Tropic Thunder to a certain extent. Mm. Um, The fact that Ben Stiller plays this character who's trying to get out of action. It's like, Yeah, but we know that Ben Stiller is a comedic actor. If they had put like a Sylvester Stallone or a Mel Gibson or maybe like a Vin Diesel Mm -hmm. uh, in that role, then it's like, oh, they got an actual action uh, star to play this action star whose career is kind of, you know, especially especially someone like Vin Diesel now who's done a number of Fast and Furious movies and is going to be playing Riddick again, you know, like... (laughs) And so, I don't know it. I mean, you and I spoke uh, somewhat recently in a minisode about the film Network, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's a film that doesn't pull any punches. No mm-hmm. one is safe, and it is willing to go as dark as possible to the point where a character gets killed on live TV um, because he's not bringing enough, bringing in you know the ratings and stuff like that. And yeah. so, so I'm sorry to repeat myself, but that's the thing is. I think, I think maybe that's, that's part of it, is they're so committed to this other style of humor, which I'm fine with them peppering in here and there, but they're so committed to that that I think they fail to recognize, like, you really missed a lot of opportunities. And I do feel like when an act, if an actor is playing himself in a film, either to poke fun at himself or to convey the realism of a certain situation, like in The Player or something like that, um, you really need to earn it you need to earn the fact that we are all paying you paying to watch you play yourself. And I think, f- I think the film kind of does, but for the most part, I think it doesn't. Um, but that's, that's just me. And I, I feel bad that, uh, in a, in a moment when we were s- supposed to talk about more positive things, we are am talking about negative things, uh, I'll talk about some more things that I do like. Um, uh, so we've, we've talked about the cast in general. Uh, but I do want to single out, uh, Craig Robinson, who most people probably know from The Office and Hot Tub Time Machine, and he what's his character from The Office? Is it Daryl? I think the name is I think the character's name is Daryl. Okay, um, but yeah, he has a very deadpan delivery that, especially in a in a movie like this where you know crazy things are happening, it seems like deadpan would not fly. It mm-hmm. would not land at all fly or land it's not doing either one um (laughs) it's just lying there yeah but he i mean the biggest laugh so you and i went and saw it with jason eakin and there was a scene and it's the scene we're talking about where the actors are talking about how hard it is to be actors and then he as if describing a. A tragic event from his past <laughs> explains one of the hard things about being an actor. For example, acting like it's hot when it's cold and stuff like that. That was the biggest laugh I had in the whole movie. It was a bit... The three of us kept laughing even though the theater had clearly moved on. Yeah. And we could not stop laughing because it's just this nice little monologue that... Uh, because it, it starts with acting like it's hot when it's cold, and then he talks about like going to the beach when it's cold and acting like, hey, everyone, let's go surfing and stuff like that. <laughs> but he just says it's so quiet and deadpan with a, like a thousand-yard stare that... Uh, oh. There's an
1: element of childishness to, <laughs> to it, which makes it even better.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and there's a moment where uh, uh, Jay Baruchel is talking to Emma Watson and uh, Craig Robinson in which they... I keep... I, I instinctively am like kind of uh, grabbing for like character names, and then I realize, oh right, <laughs> there are no character names. Um, but anyway, so uh, so they're talking about Forrest Gump, and and Emma uh, Watson is like, you don't like Forrest Gump, and he's like, no. I Jay Baruchel says, no, I hate it. She's like, but. Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> and then Jay Baruchel's like, Yeah, I know. And then Craig Robinson, once again, looking heartbroken, he's like, You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> and he just says it like, it just he has the ability to sell lines in a way that I can't imagine other actors being able mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Um, so he was a real highlight of the film for me. But to me, the, by far the best part of it is Danny McBride, mm. who plays, once again, as I said, the villain. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good character intro. And he has two of them. <laughs> um, one in which... You know, it's, there, and there's also something to be said for once, a, once uh, the premise of a film has been set and we've kind of been thrown into the middle of, you know, action or whatever. And then we feel like, okay, we've got it. We've got the dynamic of the characters. We've got this worked out. And then revealing an, and then adding this other explosive element... At just the right time, man, it can make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. If Danny McBride had been one of the, basically, what happens is, you know, there's the there's a party at James Franco's house uh, this one night, and uh, then the world ends, and a number of uh, celebrities die. Falling most into of the, them, They're, most
1: of them die, so that the main character is the only ones left in the house. Right, like hundreds of people probably die.
0: Probably yes, and so, uh, so they're trying to figure out what they're going to do that night. And so they put together all of their food and try to, they're like, all right, we're just gonna have to ride this thing out. And at the time it is Jay, Seth, James, Craig, Craig. and Jonah. Jonah yeah. And so they, so they take stock of everything they have and they, you know, and it's, and it's a nice long drawn out scene as they try to figure out like what the sleeping arrangements are going to be and all that. And it's like, okay, I think we got this and then smash cut to it's morning now and uh Danny McBride has has passed out in a bathtub slept through all the carnage and is now awake and he is ready to start his day and he is just this egotistical monster <laughs> and his and it's just it's a nice it's a well put together little montage yeah. there too um and he is like i said uh just the villain of the film and he just does whatever he wants and he'll do it uh to spite other people like once he knows the score and knows that they need to conserve water to bother people he just starts pouring out the water um and then later on there's a scene where he has decided to put on james franco's tuxedo for no and it doesn't fit by the way but he still is wearing it for no reason um and so it 's just uh his character is very funny to me, uh, and then later on uh, he leaves the house and it is assumed that he has died. Come to find out he uh he's really made a he's really made a go out of the apocalypse <laughs> and has become basically the uh, king of the cannibals essentially and then you get another nice reveal in which it starts at his feet and moves upward and then you think it's going to stop at his head no it goes to his skull hat <laughs> which is also rather funny I thought but, uh, but yeah so the, almost everything that either Craig Robinson or Dan McBride almost everything they do is pretty funny those are probably the biggest laughs for me not to imply mm. that the other guys aren't funny they're often very funny but those guys are the highlight mm. um, for me And Michael Sarah, but he's not in it very long. Yeah, I'm glad that they don't overuse
1: him. Like (laughs) Yeah, his his scenes were early on were the funniest ones to me, where they just made him as like as terrible a person. (laughs) It's like I don't know, it's like you you released the childish psyche of the kind of characters that Michael Sarah often plays. Yeah. To just any debauchery that he wanted and, and he grabbed everything with both hands,
0: (laughs) Uh, quite literally in some cases. Um, (laughs) stay tuned. Actually, just go see the movie if you're wondering (laughs) what I'm, what I'm saying. Um, so I will say a couple of the other things I like. Okay. So in, uh, moving into sort of the spiritual aspect of the, of the film, uh, and it is not above. I say above as though this is a base thing to do. It's not, but, uh, they uh, they decide they want to uh, reference uh, some other films. And so there is a scene that is <laughs> graphic and ridiculous but is very much a reference to Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Um, and if you've seen the movie you will know... If, if you've seen Rosemary's Baby and then you watch this at the end you'll be like, hey, I know what that is. Oh, but there's an element that was not in the original <laughs> um, in which uh, Jonah Hill basically is... Uh, uh, a a demon has his way with Jonah Hill and, uh, thus, uh, possesses him. And so then you get an exorcist scene and, uh, and it's quite funny because then Jay Baruchel, who has really bought into the idea of this being the biblical apocalypse. And so he, having seen the exorcist, he grabs a Bible and he grabs, I think a spoon and a spatula and makes it into a makeshift cross. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, And is, you know, just saying the power of Christ compels you. And that's one of the funnier scenes as well, because Jonah Hill, who has been kind of a very, as different as Michael Sarah has been, Jonah Hill has gone the other way. Mm -hmm. And he's a character who is trying to be really positive and comes off as fake as
1: can be. (laughs) Which I thought that that was another instance where while he's playing himself, he's clearly playing a character of himself. And that was sort of his operative thing is like, he wants to make everybody like him. Yeah. But you get the idea that maybe he's a little bit fake, and they they really play their cards close to the chest for a long time. And it's like, is he just serious about everything, and yeah. he's just kind of shallow? Yeah. Um, but it, the fact is, he's shallow, and he uh, doesn't actually care about anybody.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. He he's still. It's that it is, and and again, one without really calling too much attention to it, they do a little bit, but like it's, it's reference to that idea of like the, of like Hollywood. Nice. Like, yes, people yeah. will be nice to you, but because they want something from you, even yeah. if it's just your approval or mm-hmm. whatever. And so, uh, so yeah. And as he's, uh, once he's possessed, then we see the, the Jonah Hill that we're, that we know and, uh, and enjoy. And so it's a good scene there. But, uh, but yeah, so it's nice that the film acknowledges other as- uh, other films and, uh, and does those parodies pretty well. Um, but yeah, I will now get into some of the thematic and some of the spiritual aspects because uh, as stated surprisingly in the film, um, this is not merely the end of the world. It's not merely the apocalypse. It is revelation. It is the beast. It is seven heads. It's all that, you know, all that stuff. It is... You know, it's not just Mad Max or Planet of the Apes. It's, you know, character clearly says it's in the Bible, it's right here, everything that we are experiencing, the, you know, the rapture has happened and we got left behind and all that sort of thing. And so, and part of me thought like, okay, well, that's kind of odd that they would do that instead of just having it be a generic apocalypse, you know, the kind we're all comfortable with. <laughs> and, um... And I remember reading an interview, uh, one of the things that made me actually want to see the film, anticipating that we could do an episode about it, one of the things that made me want to see the film was an interview that uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg gave to the Onion AV Club, in which they said that, you know, when they grew up, uh, they read about the biblical apocalypse uh, either uh, directly or from, you know, uh, a friend told them because they were raised Jewish, so, you know revelation is not a big deal to them, but they would go like, they'd be invited to like friends, like uh, uh, vacation Bible school or something like that. And they would read about, you know, revelation. They'd be like, this is terrifying. They, like they thought it ge- was genuinely scary. And so they thought, well, if we're going to make a movie about the apocalypse and we want it to be kind of scary and intimidating, let's just go, let's go with this imagery. This, <laughs> this works pretty well. Um, and so I kind of like that they were willing to do that. But the thing that, and and you know what there and there comes a few moments when the characters are faced with the idea that, you know, there actually is a god, and they're just like, oh man, who would, who saw that coming? You know, like they just <laughs> they've all been functional atheists their entire lives, and suddenly they're faced with the fact that God is he is real, and He's here, and there is such a thing as justice, and there is such a thing as right and wrong, and they've been living their lives in such a way as uh, you know do whatever you want to do, it's fine, um, and so. Uh, occasionally they explore it in a way that I find interesting. One of them being during that exorcism scene in which it starts with Jay Baruchel just repeating the power of Christ compels you to the demon that is uh, inhabiting Jonah Hill. And it starts out as funny because he's clearly just, tr- just repeating what he remembers from the exorcist. Um, and the demon is being, you know, in Jonah Hill fashion, is being very defiant. After a while, it starts to have an effect, and it seems to actually start to hurt the demon. And what's odd is the guys who are watching this, uh, James Franco, Craig Robinson, and Seth Rogen, they're watching this happen, and they are clearly uncomfortable by it. They're uncomfortable with this... Uh, display of religion um and this invoking of the name of christ and so they put a stop to it even though it's clearly hurting the demon and so one could say progress is being made in this exorcism but they're they're made uncomfortable by it and so they actually put a stop to it they would rather their friend be inhabited (laughs) by this demon than what Mm. you know and so i remember that struck me as interesting and once again they don't call too much attention to it but it was something that struck me as interesting. Did that did did that register with you at all?
1: I don't even remember that honestly. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what happened at the end of the scene. But I do I do remember there being moments like that. I think there's a moment when when uh, Jay Baruchel first sort of realizes that it's the biblical apocalypse, and they're and they're all sitting together somewhere, and he starts to like bring up this stuff, like all these things that are happening, like these are like here are verses in Revelation where it talks about these things happening, and uh, in sort of a similar way. Everybody's like, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not, you know, yeah. And they don't take it seriously. So yeah, they say that's
0: ridiculous, even though they've just seen everything that they've seen outside.
1: Right. Like, so there is, it's interesting that there's kind of a recognition that these things are within the world of the movie. At least there was a recognition that these things are real and are really happening and are according to, you know, the biblical prophecies. Um, So it's interesting that they do actually kind of follow into that, um, although they don't completely follow through with the biblical ideas, which (laughs) to expect that would be to expect a lot.
0: I know. I was really (laughs) – part of me was like, how far are they going to go with this? (laughs) Oh, they've stopped. Okay, got it. Um, And it is – and yeah, I guess I I shouldn't have expected it, and I didn't really. But once they started heading down that road, I thought, wow, I'm surprised they got this far. Well, yeah, because once they get to that – to that point,
1: well, the, the scene that I was just mentioning, like once they have that, I'm like, okay, well, if, if the film is recognizing that this is the truth, wh- where do they go from here? Like, yeah. do they all have to then sit down and be like, all right, well, let's read the rest of the Bible and figure out what we have to do. Yeah. Like, that would seem to be the logical conclusion that would probably make for a boring and not very funny movie, Yeah, which is one of many reasons I'm sure they don't go there. But yeah, at first I was like, so if they're going to try and resolve this in this way... How' does it end up
0: and I, and I so i 'll move into this aspect. the thing that made me when I when I saw the movie the thing that definitely made me want to do an episode about it was you know it's fascinating uh, what the one of the things that the film winds up doing um, because the characters discover that it's not too late for them. They can still be raptured. They can still be taken up into heaven if they do like one s- truly selfless act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is uh, this is discovered when Craig Robinson decides that he's going to fight and and undoubtedly lose uh, against this demon in order. Basically, that, he's uh, going to distract it for long enough yeah. so the rest of them can get away. Yeah, and he's going to sacrifice himself. Yeah. And so as, as that's about to happen, down comes the light and he gets taken up to uh to heaven and so that's when they realize oh he has been selfless he has done this thing <clears throat> you know greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friend that's what he just did and so they realize like okay uh let's start being really nice to each other and there's a kind of a, a funny scene uh in which at this point it's james franco jay baruchel and and seth rogan they're driving in a car and they're just trying to say nice things to each other but they all wind up being backhanded compliments (laughs) like james franco's saying to uh jay he's like he's like oh you're definitely you you don't look at all weird with your shirt off (laughs) and and stuff (laughs) like that um and so it's, it's one of the funnier scenes but it's also just funny to see these guys attempt to be selfless so that they get what they want right yeah um and uh and then later on when it's uh it's weird as we talk about the movie we keep talking about fewer fewer and fewer characters <laughs> because uh, eh, not not unlike an Agatha Christie novel and eh, they don't all make it and it tends to be a one-by-one situation <laughs> and so uh, so by the end it winds up being Jay and Seth and as I said that makes sense because that is the central relationship yeah. uh, explored in the film and so uh, so Jay finally just comes out and says what he has done wrong. He confesses that he has not been the friend he should have been uh, because, and that he was really self-righteous about Hollywood and in fact he's just as bad as anybody else. And so hes it's a confession in which he actually is acknowledging his own, one could say, fallenness uh, at a time when he really And up until that point, he really thought that he was probably the humble one because he didn't buy into the Hollywood mindset, but in doing so bought into a self-righteous superior mindset himself. And so once he does that, boom, there goes the light and he's headed upward. And so that's a moment of genuine sincerity in which, you know, the character acknowledges – what he is and who he is. Um, and that's all well and good. Uh, the word Jesus has never said anywhere here, <laughs> the idea of there being grace and the idea of no one actually deserving anything good, but we have it because Christ sacrificed himself for us. And so we are, we inherit what he was, you know, what he's supposed to inherit and, and did obviously, but like, mm. And that's the thing that got me. It was just like, so you're reading the Bible, you're reading Revelation, not recognizing that there are a number of books that come before it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Jesus is mentioned pretty prominently in Revelation as well. Yeah. And the thing, and so here's the thing, if they didn't mention Jesus, which they don't, but if if they didn't in general, that wouldn't necessarily bother me. But then they do this thing where... So once Craig Robinson gets taken up and it's dis- and it's determined, oh, we know what we have to do, then uh, James Franco decides he's going to sacrifice himself for the other two, and he does this with the confidence of I'm going to be I'm I'm not really sacrificing myself I'm going right. to be fine, and sure enough, down comes the light, and he uh, and uh, a number of cannibals are going to, are trying to kill him, but down comes the light, and now he's safe, and as he gets. And as he starts ascending to heaven, it's a rather humorous. It scene. is humorous
1: because he immediately goes into gloating and yeah. uh, saying all the terrible things about everyone else. And yeah,
0: and he's and he's like giving them the finger and yeah. all that, and just really just like like gloating, kind of spiking the ball there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I if I understand sports <laughs> metaphors at all, um, too much celebrating. And so uh, and then as he's doing this, the light the beam of light shuts off and he falls down to earth and then gets eaten by cannibals. And <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's all very funny. So from a comedy standpoint, there you go. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's just funny to hear the way Seth and Jay talk about him later. It's like, why did that happen? It's like, you know why? Cause he's, he's a bad loser. Uh, no, he's a bad winner is what he was. <laughs> and, uh, and they just say it very matter of factly. And it's all very funny, but it makes it clear like, Oh, okay. So, he actually lost his salvation based on his actions. He gained it by his actions, being selfless, and then he lost them. He lost it by his actions, being, you know, by gloating and being a bad winner. Mm. And I remember thinking that and being like, man, it's fascinating to me. There are, there are so many people that would say, oh, man, I could never be a Christian. There's so many rules. And it's like, there's just as many rules for everyone else And whether, whether people believe in heaven or not, but it's, it's literally people say like, well, you know, at the end of the day, I think I want to do more, more good than harm. It's like, that is, that is a constant hourly, if not by, you know, minute by minute assessment of what you're doing in that particular moment. Mm -hmm. That sounds infinitely more exhausting to me than the idea of merely accepting God's grace and accepting Jesus sacrifice. Because at that point, the beam taking James Franco into heaven is unbroken but if it's based entirely on him saving himself essentially it's just like oh that's that like there's because at this point then it's just a god who's only about justice and there is no grace yeah and i think the the thing that's
1: sad about it is that like that shows that's sort of the way that people feel about Christianity is that like God is just waiting to like, he wants you to do the certain right things, but if you don't do those certain right things, then uh, like deeds, those certain good deeds, then uh, you know, it's, it's just too late. And he, and he might even at the last minute, if you have a bad attitude about it, give up on you.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Until you're actually in heaven you are always a, a sinner in the hands of an angry God, a spider be, that he's holding over a fire you know yeah, but then
1: it's it's sad because the the reality of it is so much easier is really so much more freeing in that yeah. um if we are you know what the actual Bible teaches is that if we are accepting of uh, if we accept Christ's sacrifice for us if we um if we believe and trust in that as the thing to save us, then that is the thing that saves us regardless of what we've done, um, regardless of how we act. Yeah. And, and there, you know, there is some theological debate over this, but I, I think it's pretty solid to say that regardless of what you do after that, even, but Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly you don't have to never sin after that. Right. But I, the case can be made. And I think often is made that, No matter what you do, like no matter anything that you do after you accept Jesus, you are saved. That's especially if you're a Calvinist. That's one of the uh, five points of Calvinism is the perseverance of the saints, which you are
0: a A Calvinist, correct? I'm a saint. Yeah. um, New Orleans. saint. Oh, okay. Fair enough.
1: Yeah. Um, I have no connection to New Orleans.
0: I have never been there. When Josh goes marching in, watch out. Um, (laughs) I want to be in that number. So moving on, uh, the number one, I guess, cause I only, yeah. I specified just Josh, Just the, um, yeah. And so I actually, uh, put together, um, and we'll get to the way the film depicts heaven in a moment. Um, actually that'll be the, that I think that'll be what we end on. But, uh, but I did, I, I put together a number of, uh, of quotes regarding the idea of grace versus works because the film puts for, puts forth a works based faith, um, which well, I'll, I'll read some of these. Um, the first is from C.H. Spurgeon. Charles something Spurgeon. Yeah, I, I know it was Charles, but I forgot what the H. Uh, Henrietta, I believe. That's him. Uh, Her. Charles H. Spurgeon. Um, okay. <laughs> if heaven were by merit, it would never be heaven to me. For if I were in it, I should say... I am sure I am here by mistake. I am sure this is not my place. I have no claim to it. But if it be of grace and not of works, then we may walk into heaven with boldness. Uh, and speaking as somebody who constantly deals with uh, neurosis, because that very much sounds like it, you know, just constantly questioning my friendships and feeling, like I don't deserve for this person to be my friend. I don't deserve good things to happen to me. Uh, and always being suspicious, then yes. like If it's works-based and I wound up in heaven, pardon, I would be so aware of, the bad things I had done that that I could not enjoy heaven. And in fact, it would be hell because it'd just be more of me questioning myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to make sure I got these in the right order. I did not write them down in the right order. Um, Okay. Yeah. So uh, the next one is from John Piper. Uh, Josh, I'll have you read that. All right. Uh, This says
1: trying to work for God without worshiping. God results in joyless legalism. Work minus worship magnifies your willpower, not God's worth. If you try to do things for God without delighting in God, you you bring dishonor upon God. Serving God without savoring God is lifeless and unreal.
0: And I feel like right there, that's that's you get James uh, James Franco's little (laughs) little pageant there, uh, in that uh, you know he's trying to work for God, which in this case means working for heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, But the idea of worshiping God as being eternally good or righteous. Uh, or gracious that's not in the picture at all um, okay uh, this next one is from rc uh, perhaps... sprawl perhaps i prefer sprawl all right <laughs> anyway <laughs> like a trowel <laughs> exactly not exactly. like a soul or like or like, the way it's b- or like bowel <laughs> moving on Perhaps the most difficult—pardon uh, me. Perhaps the most difficult task for us to perform is to rely on God's grace alone for our salvation. It is difficult for our pride to rest on grace. Grace is for other people, for beggars. We don't want to live by a heavenly welfare system. We want to earn our way. Uh, we want to earn our own way and, to- and atone for our own sins. We like to think that we will go to heaven because we deserve to be there, and that is something that the film comes back to over and over. Is this idea of you know, in the scene that we're talking about, where the characters is talking about their uh, their the work that they've had to do as actors, and that you know they're not bad people and right. all that. It's its idea. Well, I don't deserve. I deserve to go to heaven. I'm not that bad of a person. Yeah. And like, it's like, well, to quote uh, Unforgiven, deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah. You know, um, we all deserve one thing, but we are given this other thing. Right. You know, thank God we don't get what we deserve. Right. Um, But, uh, and I'll get to some of that in a a moment. Uh, But, uh, okay, here's a quote from Martin Luther himself. Hey. Josh, you read that. The one, the only.
1: Martin Luther said, The most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. With an
0: all-holy God. That's something that... Because that's... I feel like we, we tend to put our own we tend to like what do you call that project we project mm, yeah. our own image onto God and it's that yes 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 he's good and righteous and perfect yeah yeah I got it but really I don't think we understand what that means and certainly we don't understand what that means mm-hmm. um, because we are people and so perf- the, the concept of a, of a person being perfect you know we will often describe somebody sarcastically that way. Oh, this is Mr. Perfect over here. You know, stuff like that. (laughs) Never does anything wrong. (laughs) My parents don't love me. It it goes on from there. Um, And so I think when we, when we imagine God as being holy, all holy, totally perfect. Christ as being totally perfect. I don't think that registers completely and it can't. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not going to, but, It's one of those things where it's literally like it's I'm just coming up with this analogy now. So forgive me. It's not great. It's it's like a perfectly white sheet. And we think, well, just okay. this little stain, it's a small stain. It really won't register that much. It's very small. It's like, but on a perfectly white sheet, everything shows up against an all holy God, the best person is pretty awful mm-hmm. and pretty selfish. And so, you know, and some could look at that and say, that is really, uh, Oh, how would I put it? Oppressive. That fact, the idea, is like, well, we, I guess we're just screwed. Ah, but we're not, mm-hmm. we're screwed if it's works based, but we are, but it is not. And so we're actually in pretty good shape. And so like, you know, obviously this film is a comedy. And so, mm-hmm. They're not going to explore heavy theology. Not that this is remarkably heavy theology, but they're not going to explore that. So I understand. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, as we say, thank God we are not in the position of James Franco, which is something I say often, (laughs) Um, you know, thank God it's, it's not that Mm -hmm. Um, because then nobody gets taken up. And so, uh, so I feel like the film really, really, and I guess I can't, faulted. I mean, I can fault it all I want, but I guess I shouldn't, again, shouldn't be surprised that, like it uses the Bible for imagery, which a lot of movies do, you know, movies. It can be Christ analogy. People recognize the inherent power of the Christ story, even if they don't believe in it. And they will use that for their film, man of steel. And so the, uh, but then they don't actually want to go all the way with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead, they'll just use what they want and then move on, which is something that I'm sure a lot of Christians do in their own lives. They they take what they like, what makes them feel good, what validates their own lives, what makes them feel like they as an act as actors are doing good ju- good things, mm-hmm. um, and then they just move on and do whatever they wanted to do in the first place. And we all do that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I wanted to. Um, move on and talk about the companion film which is from 19 oh go ahead i was just gonna say something that i think might lead into the companion film a little bit
1: like when we're talking about this this idea of what the god that we imagine requires of us Mm -hmm. and um i think it's easier to like you you were talking about projecting i think it's easier to believe in this god that is that believes all the things that you do but is just kind of better in general like well i know where i've made mistakes he's just me but he wouldn't make those mistakes yeah and um, like you were saying, it's if we're talking about perfection, it's it's far more than we can understand. Yeah. And um, so, if the idea, if we are to be held to that standard, we we know that we can't match up to that. We know that we can't match up to any any uh, any degree of perfection. Um, and so, when it that's so much harder than. The idea of works, which ends up being the savior in this, in this movie is so much harder than the reality. Mm -hmm. The reality is just accepting. I will never be able to be this good, um, but it's okay. Yeah. Even it's funny. I was going to say, even in the reality of the film, um, it would be, it would be much easier if they had all sat around the first moment that they were like, okay, I think this is the biblical apocalypse read through the Bible and we're like, okay, well, we all have to accept God. And then we're like, all right, great. And then did that. And then they'd all be, <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> all be uh rapture. So that would have been a lot easier than, uh, having to fight against cannibals and things like that. Um,
0: wouldn't be as, as entertaining.
1: No, it wouldn't. It certainly wouldn't be. So I, I, I say that that wouldn't make a good movie, but if we're talking about the theology of it, that's an interesting thing to consider. And, and oh, go ahead that well, I was going to then lead into the, the, uh, the other movie by saying, <laughs> I, I guess, speaking of where, uh, I guess a movie where a situation where somebody chooses the more difficult path of salvation because it isn't the way that they want it to be.
0: Right. We we think we know better than God what it ultimately comes down to. It's, oh, God says there's grace, but it can't be that easy. We know better. We know how things actually work. So we're going to work really hard to get ourselves into heaven. Or, you know, we have an idea of what justice is and what, you know, and, and any number of people look at the world around us and say, there's no evidence of God here um, because of genocide and, you know, hurricanes and stuff and earthquakes and stuff like that. Um, And so they look at that and they use that as I would say rebellion against God in some way, shape or form, uh, because this doesn't f- line up with what the, with how they think things should go. And anytime we feel like we know better than God, I'd say invariably in an eternal sense, invariably we'll wind up doing infinitely more harm and, and working infinitely harder than we would otherwise. Like you just said. I mean, mm-hmm. if these guys had simply said like, oh, according to the last book in the Bible, there's all this happening. Anybody interested in what precedes it? <laughs> okay, well, then we should read through this. <laughs> oh, I got it. And then boom, flash of light and they're all good. Yeah. And, uh, instead, they choose to fight demons and cannibals. Yeah. And again, leading into the
1: companion film, it would be, uh, while... It's a lot to ask to say. Well, they sit down and they accept Christ. It seems like it would be easier to accept the uh, biblical supernatural reality when you're experiencing
0: experiencing it firsthand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would seem. I, okay, I've I've said it before. I'm going to read some quotes from it. Uh, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, is one of my favorite books of all time. It is probably my favorite book of his. Um, more so even than mere Christianity, because I'm so certainly other people think about Christianity the way he does. And probably before he did, but it's just fascinating the way things, the way he expresses things. And anyway, I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, so, okay, the companion film is called The Rapture. It came out in 1991. It was written and directed by Michael Tolkien, who wrote the novel, The Player, and the screenplay. He also wrote the screenplay for Changing Lanes and a number of other things. He does not direct very often, um, but he, uh, but he's written, he, he's written a lot. Um, I do not remember when I first became aware of the film. I saw it for the first time a few years ago, um, the first and only time a few years ago, uh, and people said oh you 're a christian, you should see this i 'd be interested to know what you think and it got pretty good reviews all around, and so I watched it, and I liked it, but more so than liking it, I found it interesting, uh, maybe not even interesting, fascinating um, because you know the, every once in a while you'll you 'll run across uh, you know i don 't know what michael tolkien 's uh, religious preferences are uh, I would assume he 's not a Christian, but you know maybe i 'm wrong to make that assumption. Um, but he's clearly fascinated by Christianity, and he wanted to make a film that is sort of about the end times to a certain extent. Um, and he wanted to do it st- in a straightforward manner. Uh, the reason I think he is not a Christian is because the way the film depicts Christians, um, and it's about this uh this swinging couple played by Mimi Rogers and David Duchovny. Uh, who become Christian. Um, and when they become Christian, her especially, uh, they uh, they get this certain look in their eye and a certain, you know, just this ever-present smile as though they're in some kind of trance or mm-hmm. daze or something like that. And part of me thinks, you know, I, I certainly, certainly I have known some Christians that are optimistic and really even in times of of, you know trial and tribulation they uh, they're still incredibly optimistic and upbeat um, I've known people like that but it's never been to this extent yeah and he sort of treats them like cult members and it's like if anybody I feel like if anybody had been uh, if he had been a part of a real church in a sincere way for any length of time he would recognize oh no we're just like everyone else
1: and this is the way that a lot of times Christians are portrayed in movies, and yeah. strangely, it is the way a lot of times cult members are portrayed in movies. It's they, yeah. there's this otherworldly happiness about them, where they seem disconnected to the reality that they're living in, mm-hmm. um, where they don't seem to experience emotions the same way that real people experience emotions. Almost like this happy robot type thing, like yeah. a Stepford wife, I guess. Yeah. Spoilers for Stepford Wives, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um although I think the cover of that movie is a spoiler. Probably um, yeah. But anyway. Uh the uh so yeah, like I, I agree with you that, that mm. I that I think shows a, a shows someone who's not real familiar with actual Christians, hasn't known that many. Because I feel like if you knew people, you would say, I've never met a Christian like that. Right. And you'd say, I, I they probably shouldn't be portrayed that way. Um, besides, do we need to go too much into the plot
0: first? Uh, not remarkably. And so basically, this couple becomes uh, a Christian. They get married. I don't know, remember if they were married before that. But they get married. They have a kid. Uh, and then tragedy befalls them when uh, somebody just goes crazy at David Duchovny's office. And he shoots up a lot of people, and including David Duchovny. And he kills them. Um, and it's random. It's out of nowhere. And now Mimi Rogers has to, you know, have... She's a single mother and, and all that. And she's trying to uh, come to grips with why God would allow this to happen and all that. And then she starts to get messages from God and that she should go out. Uh, you've seen it more recently than I do. So maybe go into uh, a bit more detail. Yeah,
1: she, she doesn't... Uh, she actually doesn't deal a lot with the grief really it's right. kind of like it just kind of fast forwards past that to her thinking that she's being told to go out into the desert so that because the end of the world is coming that she'll be raptured mm-hmm. um and then she goes takes the child and lives there for a little while um then decides that the best way to get her daughter to heaven. I'm going to spoil this movie for you. Yeah. I'm okay with doing that because we'll get to this later. But I don't think anyone should see this movie because I think it's terrible. I think everyone should see the movie. But go on. <laughs> um, uh, she she in order because she thinks the only way she only thinks the only sorry I keep getting mixed up. She thinks that the only way to save her daughter to get her daughter to heaven is to shoot her daughter. So that's mm-hmm. what she does. Um, she's then taken to jail. Then the rapture actually happens, and the end of the movie is really, I think, probably what we'll be talking the most about thematically. Um, Finds her basically on the shores of the Jordan, ready to cross over into heaven, but she refuses to because by this point she's become so uh, disillusioned by God that... She refused to come to heaven. she refuses to come to heaven on her on his terms right
0: and and it's so fascinating to me uh a number of things i mean it's just the film is the way it's written it's 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 written in many ways like a bad Christian film mm-hmm. that you and but there's profanity, there's sex, there's all this stuff. So it's like a rated R Christian film, but also, you know, in, in the performances and, and the, and the way they are choosing to play these characters. Um, you know, even that's, a, that's a little more over the top than Christian films. Um, and so it's, uh, so it's not something that I can necessarily recommend on its own merit, but it is so, like I said, it's so fascinating to me. It's such a weird little anomaly of a film Mm -hmm. because it, it does seem to me that it's Michael Tolkien just trying to make sense of something that he probably doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. And that means taking it on its own merit, taking its word for it. Mm. And this is the story that he chose to tell. And so, but yeah, there at the end when things don't, line up with what she thinks they should be. Uh, First off, she's already been misguided into thinking that uh, she should kill her daughter. It's a daughter, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's a daughter. There's a whole lot of her being sort of misguided, but then assuming that that's what God has told her. Yeah. Um, But then I still have a question of how much is supposed to be that she's right about and how much is supposed to be that she's wrong about because... There, there's these weird other sort of extra, uh, I guess, I'll say extra biblical things that are are kind of taken as truth. Like they have this, when people become a Christian, they have a dream about a pearl hmm. first. And then That's the next right. day, yes, yes. they're like, oh, now I'm a Christian. I have this glow about me. And I'm like,
0: I, I've i never even heard that. You didn't have the pearl dream? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh. <laughs> Uh, hang on, maybe you shouldn't be co hosting this show. And <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole thing where people are like
1: you <laughs> they're like smiling at her. She pretends at first, like and they're like, You didn't really see the pearl. We'd be able to tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's this weird thing where this everyone's talking about the boy. They're like whispering about the boy. And it turns out there's some kid who's like a prophet who is like telling them what's gonna happen at the end of the world or everything like that, which is not really in the Bible, yeah, I don't either.
0: recall that being anywhere in there.
1: Yeah. Also, it's a it's a, a strangely convenient element of the plot that the boy happens to be her boss's son. Huh. So then they go to this weird church where the uh, where they don't seem to read the Bible or listen to sermons, but the boy whispers things to his father, who then repeats it to the rest of the group. Uh, <laughs> so, so that, that all that to say, there are these weird elements that are clearly yeah. not part of Christianity. Um, but then it's like okay, she gets this idea that God has told her to go to the desert. The boy kind of tells her that at one point. So Mm -hmm. it's like, are we to believe that God is actually telling her this because all of this is real? Or are we to believe that this Pearl thing and this boy thing are some sort of semi biblical cult? Yeah. Or are we to believe that she imagined at least this part of it? I don't know. It's, it's, I felt like it was a little unclear there, but either way, she's convinced a hundred percent that that's what she's supposed to do. Yeah. And then when things don't work out the way that she felt like she was promised, they would, yeah. she becomes disillusioned and unhappy.
0: And one of the things that fascinates me, and this goes to what we were, what we we're talking about with, uh, this is the end. And just in general, the theme that we're talking about is we have this idea of the way things should work and we insist on them to our own detriment, mm. you know, and just, uh, and it's interesting, so after she has, I believe, turned herself in uh, for killing her daughter, uh, Will Patton, an actor that, uh, if anybody's listened to Battleship Pretension, you know I have a philosophical history with... Um, Actually, I'm fine with him now. It's, I used to be really insulting of him because I thought he was a nothing of an actor. Um, He's
1: bad in this movie, too. He has no reactions.
0: He comes, I never thought he was bad. He's just there. Okay. He's uh, a cardboard cutout. <laughs> oh, he kind of is. I didn't want to go into this on he this comes, episode. He comes to the end
1: of the world. Like, all this stuff happens. Like she's telling him about the end of the world before the end of the movie and he's just kind of like oh all right well, no. and he doesn't totally accept it then he finds out that she shot her daughter and he's like oh well I'm gonna have to take you in it's like yeah. no nearly no response then there is a biblical apocalypse where the literal bars fall out of the windows and there's mm-hmm. a trumpet that everyone in the world can hear and there's four horsemen or whatever and he just like comes into the cell and he's like hey it looks like the end of the world's ending like you thought and uh, I thought I'd come and see what you thought about it <laughs> Then after he he drives her off on a motorcycle going somewhere in kind of a weird montage with the four horsemen, then they sh- they show up at the banks of the Jordan and the daughter's there to say, all you have to do is believe in God and you can go to heaven. And she's like, what do you think? To the sheriff. And he's like, yeah. And then he's, he yeah. disappears.
0: It's you like, know what that is? <laughs> That's Will Patton right there. <laughs> it's just, I guess so. Uh, Man I didn't expect to get into Will Patton on this episode But oh you just can't help it Whenever you start to Ugh Okay It's like why is he not Why does he
1: have no reaction To any of this It's like Woman that you Actually and he has kind of a thing For the woman too So Mm -hmm. woman that you've (sighs) Crazy woman in in the desert and you start to have a thing for her That's weird enough mm-hmm. But n- no big reactions there She shoots her daughter No big reaction End of the world No big reaction Your own salvation Your own salvation You're looking at heaven Literally across this river And just this kind of bland smile Like, yeah, that sounds good And
0: there he-, yeah. <laughs> he goes And part of me is like Okay, I like I like the idea Of a character Who just kind of Is Unemotional about things And is very subtle in, in his reactions Like, okay, that's fine But you get Will Patton in there And suddenly it just Seems He's somebody that I feel like shouldn't have a career because he's only ever fine. (laughs) At best, he's adequate. He's never bad. Okay. Like, I don't think he's ever bad. He always Mm. conveys the emotion that is there, whatever that might be. Mm. Um, I think I remember being somewhat actually refreshed by his understated uh, performance compared to (laughs) Mimi Rogers in the film. Um, but it's just, what's weird is that he often, like, he get he got cast in The Postman as the villain. The over-the-top villain. And he doesn't do over-the-top. He doesn't do anything. <sighs> I'm sorry, everybody. I try not to be this negative about about a particular actor. Because he's just, you know, he's just trying. Well, it seems like maybe he's just miscast. Like, if, it, if this
1: were a movie about people having a picnic and the cop comes by to make sure everything's going all right with the picnic, and that's the movie, he'd be great. He'd be perfect for that part. He's a perpetual Jim
0: Jarmish character.
1: Everybody's eating their food. Nobody's nobody's skinned any knees, anything like that. Great. I'm going to go right. back to the
0: station. Moving on. plugs <laughs> in Mayberry, maybe. He He's was cop. just he was he just woke up from a nap under a tree. Um, <laughs> he loads his one bullet into the into his gun uh, <laughs> to prepare for the apocalypse. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what I was going to say so his character is not uh, a believer at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but there at the end. Both, you know, the two of them are standing on the the banks of the river, and uh, and they are both faced with a choice. And when faced with this thing that he didn't believe, and then there it is, he says, "Yes, okay, I'll do it." In showing, quite frankly, how easy it is. Yeah. Of course, it can be the hardest thing in the world. It's mm-hmm. it's more than just a speed bump that you go over. Right. You know, belief can be a very difficult thing, even if. You already believe it, as I do. There are mm-hmm. moments of extreme doubt. Like, I, I I understand. I get it. But she defiantly doesn't go along with it. Again, mm-hmm. because she has her idea of the way things should go. And so, it's literally no easier... It does not get any easier in this film than believe in God, acknowledge who he is, and the fact that his plans though they may not make sense to us, though they may anger us are bigger than us. Just do that. And then you're, you're good. Mm -hmm. And she says, no, the guys in, in this is the end. They say no. Although the film never actually gives them that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just feel like that that is something that uh, in some way, shape or film uh, or film some way, (laughs) shape or form uh, that we all do probably daily is we have this idea of, okay, here's my plan. Here's God's plan. I would really prefer God's plan ma- match up with mine, mm-hmm. um, and so I have a number of. Uh, actually, I know. I guess I just I only have two. Um, I have two quotes from C.S. Lewis, and then we'll read some Bible verses. Um, so I'll read. Uh, yeah, Josh, you read the first one, okay. and then I will read the second one. And these are both from The Great Divorce. Yeah. Um, but uh, the first one
1: is: there are only two kinds of people in the world. sorry, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self choice, there would be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find those who knock. It is opened.
0: Okay. Um, that is one of the things that always fascinated me is that, uh, the worst thing uh, eternally the worst thing that can happen is god saying all right you have it your way yeah you know and not doing it spitefully but just saying all right this is what you wanted so you're getting what you wanted yeah and it's like what people say is you know be careful what you wish for you just might get it
1: and i think that's uh that's one of the things that i like so much about the great divorce is this fascinating. i whoa what word did Fantasinating? i just say fascinating I,
0: <laughs> Fantastic and fascinating.
1: I guess so. Um this fascinating idea because hell for so long has been portrayed throughout medieval literature and up to now as this place where everybody's burning alive and miserable. Mm-hmm. And like it's 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 kind of easy to say, well, no one would want that, obviously. Yeah. But C. S. Lewis portrays hell as more of a place where people are just saying, No, I, I'm I refuse to not get what I want. Yeah. And um that that just seems so much more so much stronger maybe and such a more realistic and philosophically darker yeah. thing that it's it's the same as that quote the the doors of hell are locked from the inside. the inside yeah um i often say that wrong and then i'm like well that if you say it wrong it doesn't mean <laughs> anything anymore yeah um but yeah so that it, it hell's not and and Obviously, none of us knows what hell is, but uh, I like that C.S. Lewis doesn't portray it as just a place of eternal torture. It's it's a place where just everybody says I'm I'm going to get what I want, and I will insist on getting what I want, which becomes just as terrible a place. Yeah, that that's where he and uh, Jean Paul Sartre meet back on the other side by saying, "Well, hell is other people." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I- imagine a world where all every, constantly is just everybody trying to get what they want without ever giving to anybody else. Yeah. The only reason that there's any good in this world is because we are able Christians believe through God's grace to give to other people, like to give up ourselves, right, to sacrifice to a degree, and a world without that kind of sounds like the worst world possible. Yeah, I was kinda in a scene
0: like I was in a scene from No Exit and mm-hmm. what it winds up being is everybody insisting on their own way. Yeah. And sometimes and just that is inherently incompatible, but nobody can do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so there's so in speaking about uh, the rapture, uh, there is a uh, a quote uh, uh, from The Great Divorce that I find interesting because uh, this has changed the way that I've thought about some things. Uh, that is what moral, uh, sorry, mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasure, they say, let me have but this and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of the sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad man's past already conforms to his badness and is filled only with dreariness. And that is why the blessed will say we have never lived anywhere except in heaven and the lost. We were always in hell and both will speak truly. Uh, the idea of that is so, f- is so Fascinating to me. fascinating. It's fascinating, No question about it. Um, just this idea of, you know, if you, anything you do that lands you in hell or lands you in heaven. And again, it's what you do doesn't acknowledge. acknowledging, <laughs> accepting Christ is what lands you in heaven. But like anything you experience on your way there, once you get there, hell will be so bad that you're like, Oh, I cannot believe I insisted on this good thing instead of this other thing, the thing that would have saved me. I cannot believe that to the point where this thing that you loved so much in the moment is actually an eternal regret. So you couldn't even you couldn't even take pleasure in that in retrospect. And in the same way, when you think of some of the painful things that you've had to experience in this life and you think back on it from heaven you think this thing was God working in my life in some way. He allowed, you know, he allowed it to happen and perhaps I became more dependent on him as a result. And in doing so, I am now here. I am with God. And so that thing, while unfortunate, turned out to be the best thing for me, which is something that like, I I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around that, but there are some things that I will be happy about in heaven. It's a very strange thing, um, and again, this is just C.S. Lewis saying it. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, he's not, he's not the Bible, mm-hmm. um, but it's when you when you think eternally, you know, then the eighty something years that you spend here, they they mean everything, but also they mean nothing, you know, and like that, uh, you know, that line like on a long enough timeline, everything falls to zero. Mm. Well, eternal eternity is both one second and all the time in the world. It is outside of time. And so our piddly 80 years here, like, what does that even mean anymore? Mm. And especially in the face of uh, total separation from God and total immersion in God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I don't know. Something like that fascinates me. And so, uh, with that, I want to br- come back to this idea of heaven um, and the way it is uh, depicted in "This Is the End." Um, and so, and then we have got a number of uh, Bible verses. So, uh, so Jay. So, spoilers. Not all the characters from the film make it to heaven. Some. Uh, it's about half and half. You know, we don't know about Danny McBride. I'd venture to say he doesn't. Um, but anyway, so, uh, Jay, Seth and Craig all wind up in heaven and you know, they've got like the halo and it's, everything is bright white and you know. Uh, women walk around in bikinis and they can will things into existence like for example a really good joint uh, and a segue which the fact that they willed that into existence made me laugh pretty hard that like i can do anything what about this you know <laughs> and that they then will the backstreet boys to get back together and perform which is also ridiculous um from a from a comedy standpoint of course i enjoy that a great yeah. deal but it also fi- it it also fits in pretty solidly with what people think of as heaven, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, you get anything you want. Yeah. (laughs) And you get the best version of it, you know? And it's just like, ah, I guess so. And of course there's no mention of God anywhere in there. And it's just, (laughs) it it just, again, it's a comedy, so I'll cut it the slack. But one of the things that I want to impart to people who, maybe non-Christians who have seen this film and it's a film that, Oh, well, they're talking about the Bible and all that kind of thing. And, uh, so maybe that's what this is, you know, Hey, they did their research into the Bible. So clearly this must be what it is. Uh, now, obviously I've not been to heaven, uh, but I've been to Palm Springs and I feel like that's pretty close. Um, (laughs) it's pretty hot there. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, But yeah, so I don't know what heaven is like, but thankfully there are descriptions of it, uh, in, in the Bible. And so I'll read those in a moment. But, uh, one thing that I want to put out there is, you know, the scene in which James Franco loses his salvation, uh, which he basically earned through doing something good, Hmm. you know, like it being entirely works based. And as such, you know, oh, if you do something good, you better not give someone the finger on the way up, you know, or whatever. Uh, that is not Christianity. Mm-hmm. I want to really put that out there. I'm sure there. I'm sure nobody thinks. Oh, well, clearly this is uh, the- theologically sound all the way. I don't think anybody thinks that, but they might sort of tacitly agree with it. Mm-hmm. And I do want to really put out there that's not what it is. Yeah, it is grace it is being saved by faith and yes good works will come as a result of that but that's not what it is it's mm-hmm. not about something that we earned it is about god extending his love to the point that we get the thing we don't deserve or we don't get the thing we very much deserve yeah. and so like like that's what it is it is not it's not just a list of rules you know, And that's the other thing is like people talk about, oh, the list of rules, it's all so confined. It's like the quote unquote list of rules in Christianity, it's like stop signs. All right. People could say, ah, oh, stop signs. Why do we need them? And you think that right up until you get into a car accident because you ran a stop sign. <laughs> you know, it's like if you implement these in your life, your life will be much. It won't be without pain or sadness or tragedy and it means and it won't mean that you won't make, make any mistakes but it does mean that your life will probably go pretty smoothly for the most part you know like people it makes, like it makes many things in your life easier right for example something that people talk about is like drunkenness and people are like the Bibles against drinking is like well not necessarily it's against drunkenness but not necessarily drinking and uh, and it's like well I mean you know what's why it's like well I don't know maybe let's look at the stats about drunk driving and mm-hmm. let's look at the sheer number of alcoholic parents that have ruined their children's lives. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> or even like the st- when people sit around telling stories about, Oh, I got
1: so drunk, this or that. Like, you yeah, have fun telling the stories, but they're all about terrible experiences. Yeah. They're about like, I felt miserable or I did something terrible or I got pulled over or, yeah. you know, it, they're always bad endings. Yeah. It's never like I got super drunk and then I got a
0: job. It's- <laughs> right. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I always that I go to when it comes to stuff like this is like, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Hunter S. Thompson was high, a high-functioning drug addict, uh, was able to hold down a job and be very successful right up until the day he killed himself. <laughs> yeah. Also, he acted like something of an animal uh, instead of a person for a good portion of his life. Yeah. So and so that's, that's the thing. The list of rules, if you actually do try to live by them, again, uh, your life's not going to go perfectly, but you'll actually find it goes much, uh, in many ways much smoother. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. But that's the thing, obeying those rules is not what will get you into heaven cuz you're never going to obey them all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, and one of the things that I to go back to uh uh, the rapture, one thing that I find fascinating is that Mimi Rogers' character has killed her, her daughter. Hmm. For whatever reason, she killed her daughter, and she is still being given the opportunity yeah. to come over to heaven. Yeah. And she refuses to do
1: it. That And that's one of the weird things about that movie. Well, again, a weird thing is that it seems like there are a lot of things that are closer to actual Christianity with the exception of these few outliers right. like i think there's even parts where they talk about it people say like it's not just about being good or bad it's about accepting jesus yeah and i'm like well that's true like that's that's interesting that they went that far with it but then that it doesn't i don't know that it doesn't completely yeah i don't know doesn't doesn't round it out completely
0: and it's one more thing that i find so fascinating about this movie <laughs> I think we got a new T-shirt. Um, hey. But uh, just a picture of your dumb face saying, Fantasinating. <laughs> I'm totally going to design that. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, so I wanted to uh, read a few verses real quick. Um, first is Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the, of the glory of God. All right. So, uh, and the next several uh, verses are about heaven, um, a couple of them from the book of Revelation. Uh, so here we go. I'm going to read all these as one thing, but I will tell you in advance. Okay, Matthew 7, verses 13 through 15, Revelation 21, 3 and 4, uh, and Revelation 22, 5. I'm going to read these all as one paragraph. You'll probably be able to see where there's a break, but that's okay. All right. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying look god's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now here's the thing that sounds better to me than just being able to smoke the perfect joint. Um, <laughs> it, you know, when I think of, and you know what? I didn't say that I would do this. So uh, if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Uh, but I'll throw it to you first. Uh, when you, when you imagine heaven and the idea of being in heaven with God and all mm. that, uh, what appeals to you about it? <laughs> um, I think the only
1: things that, that appeal to me are the things that I can think about only in kind of an abstract way, mm-hmm. because I think anytime time that I start to think about the reality of it, it just doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. um, any sense in terms of the things that I can understand. Um, so in in terms of the idea that, uh, I I guess I think of it as, what's the best way to say this? What's most appealing is that it's somewhere where, you know, everything is right. Mm -hmm. I guess just the idea that you, you don't have to worry about anything. um, where all of the things that upset you either don't exist or don't upset you anymore. Um, it's basically anything that has ever bothered you or upset you is, is no longer existent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, just the idea that all of the things that are terrible <laughs> about life no longer exist. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, in preparation for the episode, I started thinking about it for myself. And I thought, you know, as I've said already, I mean, I function with a great deal of neurosis. And what that ultimately comes down to is constant questions. The question of, am I where I should be in my career? Am I as good a husband as I can be? Do my friends actually like me? Mm-hmm. Is, is anybody listening to this podcast? At this point, <laughs> probably not. But uh, just constant questions. And the fact that when it comes right down to it, you never really know the answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, maybe I am the best husband I can be. Maybe not. Who's to even say? My friends, yeah, they probably like me. Stands to reason. But there are probably moments when I've done something or said something that has genuinely bothered them and they have w- and they have thought, eh, is is this guy worth it or something like that? And th- mm. maybe that maybe it hasn't gone to that extent, but certainly there have been times when, like, you know, I've said something or done something that has bothered somebody and then they choose not to air it, but they still made note of it. You know, something like that is probably Very possible. Um, Just these things that like, and you never know. And the not knowing is, it drives me crazy. And it's just constant questions. And I can't stop myself from asking them. You go to heaven. You are in the presence of God and God is the answer to everything. God is truth with a capital T. Mm-hmm. And so there are no you don't worry about lies anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't worry about people being nice to you out of politeness than instead of actually liking you. You don't worry about all that. It is you shed it and you are then bathed in the in the knowledge, the steadfast knowledge and the truth that god loves you that the creator of the universe loves you and wants you there with him Mm -hmm. that to me is so astounding and so encouraging uh that you know i feel like christians tend not to talk about heaven and hell very much because we don't want to invoke uh certain images Mm -hmm. uh that being of like you know, angels with halos playing harps Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, people being poked with pitchforks by a guy with a goatee. Uh, (laughs) I'm talking about me, of course. Um, But, uh, you know, we, we tend not to talk about that in the same way. We don't talk about like demons and all that because that it's kind of an old school way of, approaching christianity but it's all part of it it's all of a piece and i feel like maybe we should focus on heaven a little bit more maybe we should talk about hell a little bit more too Mm -hmm. but heaven certainly like what it actually is and yeah yeah pie in the sky by and by whatever but like what it actually is and the fact that what the thing you and i just described sounds as marvelous as it can be and our description won't even scratch the surface yeah like that is very exciting to me.
1: Yeah. And even the idea that like you were saying, you have all the questions and, and I I mean, I feel the same way too. Like I have all these questions, but the idea that once you get to, you know, once you are one with God in that, and he is the answer to all those things, it's hard to think that you could get to a point where you, you know, the answers to those questions and they're all terrible. (laughs) Like they're all the worst answer you would ever want but it doesn't even matter. Like being that oneness with God, you can look at all that stuff and say this, it doesn't matter because of this. Like,
0: yeah, the answer could be Tyler, none of your friends actually (laughs) like you, but God likes you. Yeah. And And just like, okay. And the, uh, the fact at the moment, someone could say that to me and it would, I'd be like, well, that's devastating. Yeah. But you know, Away from here, mm-hmm. where we don't have to worry about societal and cultural pressures, that fact—it's like everyone in the world hates you, but God loves you, yeah—and He wants you here.
1: And the promise is that, like knowing that, and and I think, like you said, being being there and being with God is the full knowledge of that is coming into that full knowledge because I think it's possible for us to have otherwise, right. and that full knowledge just overcomes all that other stuff. It, it, it's, it's weird to think of this thing that allows
0: you to have that joy regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, all right. So I, I feel like we've uh, delved into some pretty, uh, heavy, uh, Christian concepts here. So if you have any questions for me or Josh, you can email me Tyler at more than one or Josh at, uh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. Um, you can, uh, join the Facebook group. I need to approve you, but you can join. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. What was that? You can join if you're approved. Indeed. Um, if you're good enough, if you do enough (laughs) good works, you can be allowed entrance. Don't listen to him. You just have to believe in Tyler and accept him. (laughs) Actually. Yes, that's kind of (laughs) true. If you do accept me, I'll probably be a good friend to you. (laughs) Um, anyway, so, uh, certainly a Facebook friend. Um, But yeah, uh, and then uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at MoreLessons. You can follow Josh on Twitter. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. And uh, once again, if you live in the uh, San Diego area or you're going to be there for Comic-Con, then go to Dublin Square at 554 4th Avenue. uh,
1: 5,444th Avenue. That's the
0: one. uh, At 8 p.m. and hang out with me and uh, quite possibly Josh and... Uh, you know, I, I always enjoy hanging out and talking with listeners. So, uh, I think that's about it, Josh. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you guys for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye.